Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 133. It says, Behold. This is David writing this psalm. And um, when he says the word behold, that means it's something you need to look at, something that's pretty impressive. Look at it. That's what he's saying here. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to live or dwell together in unity. Amen. How many can see that picture that David's looking at? Everybody getting along. Everybody living in unity. Everybody dwelling together. And he's seeing something here. He's not just saying it. He's actually at an event where he sees this unity together. Right? And he says, it is like... So when he says that is like, we've got to figure out what he's seeing, what's so special about what he's seeing, and how can we attain it ourselves? because it is good and pleasant. It's like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard as on Aaron's beard. The oil which ran down even upon the edges of his robes. And it is like the dew of Hermon which is Mount Hermon, or Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For the Lord commanded the blessing there, which is life forever. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now we just pray your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, just like this psalm says, Lord God. Lord, that we would get out of your way, all of us, Lord, even those who... um, Think they're great, Lord, and those who think they're not so great, Lord. Let us all get out of your way, Lord God, and uh, allow you to use us in the way that you want to, Lord. Humble ourselves under your mighty hand, Lord God, and hide me, Lord, uh, behind the cross, Lord God, because I am a... um, um, Lord, I can draw people away from your cross, Lord, so hide me, Lord. Let your voice be heard. Speak, Lord, to your people. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Title of my message is One. O-N-E, my shortest title I've ever had. I'm trying to find one shorter so I can say that again. It's going to be hard. I'll put it as a numerical value. One, okay. This is unbeatable then. (laughs) Leave it to the sound guy, right? The audio guy. All right. This is what's called a song of ascent. And so these are, um, these are songs that they sang on the way to Jerusalem for festivals. And so I'm going to put this in modern terminology so you can understand it. When me and my sons would go on trips, we would make a whole song list of songs we could sing on the trip. They're called road trip songs. How many have ever had road trip songs? You know, songs you like to sing. Wow, this is amazing. I'm the only one. I thought I was speaking to the masses here, but it just, okay, there's a lot of people who like road trip songs, all right? All right, I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's tired, I'm tired of being so awkwardly alone, you know. <laughs> but these are road trip songs. These are songs they would sing on the way uh, to go worship. And here's what's really amazing about this. Um, God appointed a nation. Now, I want you to picture this if this were the United States, okay? Now, you know, it'd be pretty cool because we're called the United States, right? But what if um, God, the only true and living God of our nation, which is what they had, put yourself in their shoes, they um, all worship the same God. If you were a person seeking God in Israel, there was only one. And it was all the people who were devoted to God worshiped one. There were no Baptists, there were no Pentecostals, there were no Episcopalians. Uh, Luther wasn't born yet, right? Catholics weren't born yet, all right? There was one nation under God, and... God appointed them three times to all gather together in Jerusalem for the feast. So imagine this. Some of you men have been to Promise Keepers, right? What an awesome feeling. Maybe one of the few times in our lives 
um, that we've seen people come from all over the region, all different faith backgrounds, Catholic, Pentecostal, Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, all different backgrounds coming together. And we, we were putting 50, 60, 70, even 100,000 in some stadiums. How many remember that? That's something you could behold. You could look at it and you could, I can remember singing uh, some of those songs, How Great Thou Art, uh, Just As I Am. How many remember this? And what a feeling. I mean, what an incredible feeling when everybody dwells. I'm not just talking about being unified. I'm talking about dwelling together. How many have been on a road trip? You don't always dwell together in unity. (laughs) Okay, I'm just saying. Somebody has a bladder the size of a shriveled pea, right? (laughs) There's always the one that says, are we there yet? Right? Even if it's a 15-hour drive, are we there yet? We're about an hour into it, okay? I mean, no, it's not easy sometimes dwelling together in unity. And David is seeing a picture similar to what we've seen at Promise Keepers. Except it's a lot more people. And they all serve the same God. There's no division. There's all unity. And they're all gathering together in Jerusalem. And as far as the eye can see, you see nothing but pilgrims coming to worship the living God. And David, is. this is what he has in mind when he sees this. He sees an entire nation crammed into Jerusalem. Tents are everywhere. People are taking people into their homes. Uh, it's just a, an amazing unity of the nation. And not only that, it's one of the few times that the nation has actually been unified. It's very difficult on this Psalm 133 to determine exactly the moment it is. A lot of people say it's at the moment that David unified the kingdom into one. And so finally, for the first time, Saul's family is not fighting with David's family. David has been anointed the king and everybody has accepted him as king. And David is living fully for God um, and, and, and really an example of what a righteous king looks like at this time in his life. And so he's looking around and he's seeing the blessing of God over this nation. And can you imagine all of the United States of America united under a righteous king and worshiping God together in the same city. I mean, I don't think we can really see totally what David is seeing here. And no wonder he says, behold, I mean, look at this. I bet he's going crazy writing this. I bet he's sitting in the palace, newly crowned king, anointed, and looking down at the masses of people worshiping God and all living together in harmony. And this may be, and I'll let your mind kind of wonder, this may be the closest we've ever gotten on on planet earth to having um, what we're going to see in the millennial kingdom in fact you know in the millennial kingdom they're going to come from all over the world to worship in jerusalem and there's going to be unity under one god there'll be no division there won't be other denominations there'll just be people worshiping god and really david's kingdom and that period between the age of about 33 years old 30 And uh, about 49, that kingdom was united and there was anointing that was flowing and there was a unity that's never been seen in the world probably except that moment when David united the kingdom. And so this is the picture that he has and he's trying to tell you what it's like. And very short psalm, you know, four verses I think. Yeah, three verses. And he's trying to say it's like this because... I don't think we can even understand what it's like. You know, like I said, I I remember being overwhelmed singing Just As I Am and How Great Thou Art with 50,000 men in a stadium. I can remember just stopping and listening and thinking, man, I've never heard anything like this. No instruments or anything, just voices of 50,000 men from all backgrounds, all denominations. And can I tell you something? Every hotel, every parking lot, everything was full of Christian men, okay? And would it have been great if there were even that many women and children there? All worshiping one God, unified. And David said, I'm trying to make you understand what it's like when the church is like that. 
And so he uses two examples. One's a mystery, and one's the key to unlocking the mystery. The mystery is, it's like the precious, which this was an expensive, expensive oil. Like the expensive, precious oil that is poured on the head, running down the beard, as on Aaron, the high priest's beard. The oil which ran down all the way to the edges or the skirt or the end of his robe and dripped off. That's the mystery. You say, wow, you just lost me. And we're going to come back to this at the end. This is the mystery we have to unlock. What does Aaron have to do with this? Okay, I was with you. I was with you on the road songs, the road trip songs. I was with you on the masses of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem washing. I was with you with promise keepers, but you totally lost me on Aaron's anointing oil. Okay. Um, And we want to come back to that because I think the key to unlocking is starting at the end of the psalm and looking at Mount Hermon. This is the key to understanding what David is seeing. Okay? Israel, if I can paint a picture here, all right? Israel has a mountain all the way to the north, which is called Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon, however you pronounce it. That mountain has three peaks that are almost exactly the same height. They're 9,200 feet elevation, the highest point that you're going to find in Israel. Okay, those mountains are snow-capped. They're full. In fact, they have ski resorts uh, on those mountains of Hermon. Israeli ski resorts, beautiful, tall mountains, okay? Jerusalem... Right as you go south of Jerusalem, you, you just keep going down from Mount Hermon. Down, 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 down. And then the Dead Sea is all the way to the southern end. So the northern end of their nation, Mount Hermon. Southern end is the Dead Sea. Okay, Dead Sea is 1,380 feet below sea level. So imagine 9,200 above the highest peak, all the way down to directly south... 1,380 feet below sea level. So this is a big drop. So the nation basically just goes straight down. All right, and there's lots of mountains in between peaks, but they're not as high as Mount Hermon, okay? And so here's the key to understanding what he's trying to tell us here. On the tops of those peaks, in fact, you you say, well, wow, a ski resort, what's the rest of the nation like? As you start moving 100 and 200 miles south toward the Dead Sea, it's desert. So I want you to picture this. You have an arid desert that blooms with all kinds of vegetation and doesn't get a lot of rainfall. Well, how in the world is it so fruitful? The reason it's so fruitful is because all of that condensation, all of that dew, all of that stuff that's accumulating on that mountain... When it warms up, where do you think it goes? Flows. Four tributaries come out of that mountain. It flows directly into the Sea of Galilee and keeps it full and overflowing. Sea of Galilee is in the north. Uh, Jordan has four tributaries that go into the Sea of Galilee. And then one mighty vein and several tributaries come out of the Sea of Galilee. And so get this. That entire nation is fruitful because of that mountain. That mountain feeds mountain water to that whole arid region. And they've got all of these little collectors of water all over the nation. And so get this, the nation does not have any fruitfulness unless they have the flow from Mount Hermon. Now why would God position Himself as the head of the nation on Mount Hermon with three peaks? Isn't that amazing? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right there. All equal in height almost exactly. Mount Hermon. He's saying, I am. In fact, there are several places he calls himself the dew. He says, a king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like the dew of the grass. Proverbs 19.12. Isaiah 18.4 
For this is what the Lord has told me. I will quietly look from my dwelling place like dazzling heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. God has likened himself to the dew on a hot day. And so he's saying that here's the picture I want you to see. These pilgrims are coming to meet their God in Jerusalem, which is all the way to the south. They're coming from that entire nation and they're all feeding just like tributaries and depositing themselves in Jerusalem. And God is saying, I am like Mount Hermon and these tributaries that feed your nation, make it fruitful, make it grow, make it green. And I deposit myself on the mountains of Zion. And God's trying to say that there is a flow that comes with this unity. There is a... um, Do you understand if Hermon, Mount Hermon would not um, give its water as a source, that all fruitfulness would be gone from that nation? So, man, what does this have to do with me? I don't live in Israel. That means that if we cut off the flow of that anointing, we won't have fruit. The city will be cut off. Because the Bible says if those who are called by my name will repent and call upon me, I will restore your land. And get this, everything that he talks about in here is gravitational. Where else is the water going to go but down? Right? I mean, if you're a plumber, isn't that the only thing you need to know? That water travels down? Right? Isn't that what they say? Is that how they say it? Okay. I, you know, I don't know the plumber's language, so... <laughs> But water flows down, it's gravitational. When a man is standing up and being anointed by oil, it's gravitational. That means the only way to stop it is to be intentional. That means that God's blessing is gravitational. God's blessing is His desire. God's blessing is what He wants to do. God wants to flow in this community and guess what can stop it? It's gravitational. The only thing that can stop it is you and me. The only thing that can stop it is plugging it up or diverting it or doing something to stop the flow of God because He's commanded His blessing over this nation. He's commanded His blessing over this church. He's commanded His blessing over these cities. How many know that? And the only thing that can get in the way is His church not being unified. I can stop it. You can stop it. Any of us here can stop it. We can pout. We can throw in the towel and say we're not going to do it. We're not going to do what God's called us to do. But God has ordained that every person in this church see the flow of God. And we've got to figure out how to get out of the way. I've got to figure out how to get out of the way. You say, you are so right, Chad. I'm glad you brought that up. Because I was going to bring up a special business meeting. I've got to find out how to get out of the way. You know, I have strengths in the body of Christ. But how many know your strengths are usually your weaknesses too? Your strengths are usually where your weaknesses also lie. Because your strengths allow you to go in the strength of the flesh. And so we've got to be really careful. I've got to find a way to find out what qualities I have fleshly that can stop the flow. And here's the good news. You do too. You have strengths that God really wants. In fact, I told you a few weeks ago in a sermon that God doesn't want to take away your strength. It's like a wild bull. All right? A wild a wild horse, God wants to use that strength. That's why you break a horse. Because you need, like in before we had tractors, you had to have that strength under control. And so God will break each and every one of us because we will yield 
our strength to Him. And so God has to break us. God has to take our strengths and find a way to harness it under His control. Right? Hallelujah. I don't want to scare anybody with my whip. All right. So God is trying to find a way to unify us, but unify us and use each person's strength. How many know that every person here has strengths and they're all different? They're all diverse. They're all unique. They're all uh, God-given strengths. And we need to unify under those strengths rather than separate with our weaknesses. And so it's very important that we really hear the voice of the Lord to help us in these areas. In fact, the, um, the dew on this mountain was so heavy that they said if you stood under the mountain, the dew was so heavy that your tent would always be soaked because of the dew that comes from this mountain. And so God, these ice caps just formed, flowed. And, and I want you to see that in the Spirit. See that in the Spirit. You say, well, how do I do that? That don't make any sense. The closer you are to the mountain, the more drenched you get. And what does God have in store for this church? And you say, man, are we special? No, everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord, there is a reserve. Just look at that mountain and look at all that water. That's what's in store for us. God has stored that up day by day. It's layer upon layer upon layer. God has set that aside for those who believe in His name and those who will call upon the Lord, those who will seek His presence. And that mountain represents the presence of the Lord. The closer you get to it, the more saturated you get with the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to be closer to the mountain. God wants us to be able to receive that flow of the Holy Spirit. But what stops... Now, this is an important thing. What stops the flow of the Holy Spirit? Some of you say that's really easy. You. <laughs> You're right. How many know that I stop the flow of the Holy Spirit? How many know that you stop the flow of the Holy Spirit? We've got to be very honest because a lot of us have gotten away with being self-righteous. And we don't need to spend time in God's presence because we're always right. Because it could never be me. It could never be something I did. I don't need the chastening of the Lord. I don't need the reproof of the Lord. I don't need the rebuke of the Lord. And by the way, I don't want it. How many know that's a bad place to be? You want to be soft in the presence of the Lord and you always want to be saying, God, how can I be more like you? How can I change? How can I take my weaknesses and make them strong in you. How, can, how much can I give to you for you to replace who I am and be more like you, Lord? So here's some of the things that can cause us to stop the anointing. And, and boy, this is not an exhaustive list. I don't think I could come up with that list. How many know there are so many things that stop this gravitational flow of the Holy Spirit? You say, well, Lord, bring it. Lord, bring it. Lord, send it. Lord, we need it. Lord, we want it now. Send it. And the Lord's saying it's gravitational. It flows. You don't have to ask me to bring it. I'm bringing it. Just quit diverting it. Quit stopping it. Quit quenching it. Because God is a God who loves us. And God is a God who blesses us. And God is a God who wants to see our community change more than we do. And if we got the heart of God and we became one can you imagine what just this church could do if we became one? And this is the challenge that we have, church, because we're on the precipice of, um, of, of attempting to be one. That's my goal. One. And you say, well, how can we be one? Well, I don't agree with anything you say. That's my challenge. That's why I'm trying to figure this exhaustive list, you know. Because I don't know. God knows. Hallelujah. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy... That's an ugly word. Nobody here has any jealousy, right? Nobody? Good, I'm glad. Because I do. <laughs> Strife. 
Jealousy and selfish ambition exist. Selfish ambition. Do we have any of that? Selfish ambition and jealousy and... Where they exist, there will be, not maybe, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James 3.16. Church, we got work to do. We've got work. I would love to sit in here and just say, hey, you know, we're all good people. But the Bible says there's none good. (laughs) So you say, why do you guys pray all the time? Why are you guys always having prayer meetings? Why is the prayer room always open? Because because when I read this, I don't say, you know, that's the world. (laughs) Because God's God's trying to change the church because the church is the tributary with which the Holy Spirit flows to the world. James 4, 2, and 3 says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. How many things do you think we've murdered inside the church? How many dreams, how many anointings have we murdered because we don't recognize what God's trying to do in a church. You say, yeah, Chad, man, you need to work on that because you're the pastor. Church, we have a lot of work to do. We can either say that we don't ever murder anything, or we can say that, hey, you know, we need to figure out how to release people in an anointing. We release dreams, visions, I mean, you know, a lot of churches, dreams get destroyed and murdered. Galatians 5.19, this one's really painful. If we're really, if we're really, reality is an important thing. We've got to apply every scripture to ourselves, okay? And Galatians 5.19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're easy to see, it says. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And, and you stop there and you're like, sorcery is drugs. But you stop there and you say, man, I'm in good shape. The world are bad people, right? Enmity, that means hatred to one another. Strife, that's fighting with each other. Jealousy, fits of anger. I hope everybody can find a place here to land. Fits of anger, rivalries. Oh, rivalries, that's an interesting word. Dissensions, that's disagreements. Divisions, that means um, more than one vision. You know, that may be as big of a source of church disunity as anything. You know, if you have a strong personality, God wants to use that. But if you have a division, that means more people have visions of what we should do than we need. Division means more than one vision. And you say, well, why do we have to listen to your vision? Don't have to listen to my vision. My vision means nothing. I mean, I'm a human being. I am going to seek the Lord for His vision. I'm going to present that vision to our board, our elders, and they're going to try to get behind a vision. It doesn't have to be my vision. It has to be God's vision. So I'm trying to see God's vision. Our elders are trying to see God's vision. And then the elders are going to present it to the church. And between those three groups, we must, church, listen to me, we must have a vision. And we cannot have a division. Division means one other person says, we need to do it a different way. And you said, man, that seems so harmless, you know, because I think I really do have a better way. It very possibly could be a better way. How many know that I'm not exactly a genius? All right, I should see every hand here. Come on. John's got two back there. Come on, anybody else? I feel like an auction. All right, Curtis, he's in on it. That was very emphatic. I thought he was sleeping back there and he threw that hand up. You're you're actually awake, aren't you? Okay. All right, good. (laughs) 
<laughs> but remember, God is, uh, I'm trying to hear God's vision, not my vision. And I've got to present that vision, not only to the elders, but also to the people. And that's why I'm spending so much time trying to present as much of that vision as I can. And, and trust me, if this eldership doesn't agree unanimously, uh, and by the way, I don't like yes men. Now, if I've said that a hundred times, I like people that um, are, have an opinion. I like people on my board that will actually uh, fight with me a little bit, argue with me a little bit. You know, I don't want division, but I do want them passionate about presenting what they feel like God's leading them to do. But here's the thing. We have to be unanimous Amen. or we have a division. And so my way of making sure this eldership is going to be unanimous is if we're not unanimous, we fast and pray. So, you know, let's, if you like not eating, you know, then get in the presence of God and let's figure this out. Let's get God's vision. Because when we have a vision and we're one, like we're one behind the vision of God, His will for this church, uh, we're an unstoppable church. In fact, every example of that one behind God's plan, they were unbeatable. David was unbeatable when they were one. Joshua was unbeatable when he was one. A judge or a leader that's raised up in the book of Judges is unbeatable when they were one. And so when we're one, God is going to give us victory after victory after victory after victory. And winning, hopefully, it will never get old. Because the only way that we can lose is division. Stopping that unity, stopping that flow of the Spirit of God. Some of the things that can cause disunity, gossip. You know, gossip, sometimes we think about that as just um, saying some juicy information that, you know, that you know that nobody else does about somebody and you're gossiping about them. Um, that's just a little bit of gossip, okay? Um, Romans one twenty nine says, People, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, and greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips. <laughs> now that's in that list, right? Gossip is just church members talking about each other instead of talking to each other. about each other instead of to each other. I'm glad we don't have any of that in here. just makes this sermon a lot easier. I can skip to the next one. How about secret of alliances? That means I'm opposed and I'm gathering an army. How many know that a lot of the flow of the Holy Spirit has ended because of secret alliances? You say, well, I don't like you. And I've got three or four friends that don't like you either. And we're together on that. You're unlikable. Can I tell you something? I don't disagree with you. I'm not the most likable person. <laughs> okay. I don't always try to be. <laughs> right? I'm not a flatterer. But church, we've got to, that, that anointing is precious. That anointing um, and the resources that a water flowing in, in that community. You know that five, five nations are watered by uh, Mount Hermon? Five nations. And so here, when David is saying it's like Mount Hermon, what he's saying is, the flow in this church, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm, I'm saying me because I'm the pastor here. But I'm not the head of this thing. Mount Hermon, the head of Mount Hermon is God Himself and wants to bless this community. And unfortunately, He has to do it through an entire church. And so God really wants us to be have that free flow. Here's another thing that you don't normally think. Failure or fear to confront. You say, well, that's not unity. 
See, that's a difficult one. Because how many know there are some times in a body that you have to biblically say, look, you're causing disunity. And how many know if that's not addressed, then you're going to have a chasm in your church, a split so deep that there's no way to put it back together. And so there are times, just remember this, there are times where the most loving thing you can do is warn, warn, and remove. Lovingly warn. And there are a lot of hurts in the church that are just simply people that didn't want to get along. Didn't want to be in unity. And, and so that's why the Bible has those things there. In fact, it says it's uh, good and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. Um, you know, there are some things that are uh, good but not pleasant. Um, the Bible says that discipline is good, but it's not what? Pleasant. And so we have to, in love, we have to be careful to correct, repute, reprove, rebuke in love to maintain the unity. How many understand that? Lovingly, always. I already went over this one. Division is something we have to be very careful about. Selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride. If the start of your argument is, but I, but I think, but I said, but I did, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of things that are, and it'll be in my next point here, there's a lot of work. Remember, maintaining unity is revival. It actually is revival. You say, well, why are we not having revival right now? Because we've got a lot of work to do, church. That's why there's long periods of prayer before revival because it's gravitational. It's going to flow down from Mount Hermon. It's going to flow down Aaron's beard. It's going to come to this community. You say, well, what happens when it comes to the community? Drug addicts are healed. People are healed physically. Uh, People are repenting and being saved. Lives are changed. Families are changed. Communities are changed. It's worth it, church. It's like, it sounds like that it, it does everything. And that's what Mount Hermon did. Every fruit, every green thing, everything that grew in Israel in an arid desert was from that mountain. And it's a perfect example. David picked a good one, didn't he? What, what, what better example could he have used? I'll tell you another thing that stops the unity. Lack of prayer. Lack of prayer. Now one thing we need to do is we need to have group prayer in this church, and it's something that I love is group prayer because the ministry gifts work. The ministry gifts can actually help deal. It can actually point out things in your heart that you don't even know are there. But I'll tell you another thing too is also individual prayer. Getting in the presence of God and just getting on your face and and you say, well man, I want to tell Him everything. Just sometimes it's good to enjoy His presence. Alright, what if you had a friend... And you had a list of ten items you wanted to cover with that friend on your dinner date, lunch date. So you sat down and you went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. See you later. Go back to my normal day. Sometimes prayers like that with God, you just you got your list. And so what I highly recommend is getting in that prayer room alone. You know, there are that, that thing's open nearly all the time. If I'm here, that thing's open, and usually the music's playing. Before uh, group prayer, after group prayer. But get in there and just enjoy it. Just worship God. Close your eyes. Get a comfortable place. And just worship Him. Just don't do anything. Just worship Him. And guess what will happen? It may be ten minutes. It may be half an hour. It may be an hour. maybe two hours. But there will be some point you'll be in God's presence. And God will begin to speak to you about your life. And it's the most wonderful thing that could ever happen. Um, a lot of that pride and selfishness and all these things that um, are fleshly and worldly. Um, you can't see it. I vacuum it pretty regularly, but it's all over that carpet in there. It's all over that carpet. And you say, well, man, who's messing up our carpet in there? I am a lot. <laughs> you know. And so you walk out of that prayer room and you can be so angry, you know, and just full of anger. And 
You walk in there and by the time you're done, you're like the sweetest person that ever walked out of that prayer room. So how do you know that? Because I've seen somebody do it once. I've seen him walk in. I'm going to tell you who it is. You can be struggling with anything in this life, church. You can walk in there. You can come to a group prayer meeting. And that's where we're doing all this work at. God is just saying, hey, change this in your life. Change that in your life. And when God tells you, it's different when man tells you. You know what? I mean, I need God to tell me that. Because sometimes, man, I don't listen to him. You know, I need God to tell me that. Sometimes he'll use men. But how many know we need that work? Sometimes we're afraid of losing members. Breaks the unity. It's like, yeah, we'll be hard on that with one person, but we're not with them because they pay a lot of money. Or they pay tithes, and, and you know, we don't want those tithes to go. We know that's favoritism. The Bible says when one comes in with lots of money and gold, jewelry, and all this kind of stuff, or they sit in the finest seat, you know, don't treat them any different than another person. How many know some, some churches are disunified because people have learned to operate like the world? I throw my money around and I get influence. And in church, we can't do that. Failure to have a mission. You know, a lot of churches are country clubs. They're like an Eagles club or a Kiwanis club, Right? That's why so many churches died during the pandemic because it's a small group of people that have never had a desire to get outside the walls. Have never had a desire to grow. Have done nothing to reach young people. You know, this sounds shocking. A lot of churches wouldn't spend a dime to reach a young person. In fact, they don't want them in their church. How many know that? Because if they come in our church with all their weird colored hair and all their piercings and all their video games and all these things that they're doing, it's going to mess up our, our club. And how many know a lot of division is because we're not busy doing the work that God's called us to do? If we were busy winning the lost, we wouldn't have time for that, that ridiculous, <laughs> you know, taking care of my space here. We'd be too busy out there winning the lost and going after the lost. And so a lot of churches are disunified because they do not have a mission. And here's the last one. It's probably not that big of a deal. I know there's a lot more. Offense. Man, I'm offended. And it's not just one thing. Chad does a lot of things that offend me. Well, join the club. There's a lot of people on that line. All right? And I try not to be offensive, but I'm still offensive. How many know Jesus said offenses will come? And so even when we're not trying to offend, you're still offending people. I'm still offending people. Offenses will come. Um, There's a lot of reasons offenses come. They come from misunderstanding. Uh, How many have ever misspoke something? How many have misheard something? Uh, offenses are going to come, and there's going to be all kinds of offenses. We're a bunch of sinners going to church together. You say, well, good, we've got you. At least you're not one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a sinner. God is changing me every day. I'm in His presence, and He's changing me. But how many know we're going to have to have something that can combat offense? And the Bible says love covers multitude of sins. So church, if we don't learn how to love, and you say, well, how do we do all this? Turn, if you would, to um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. There's some interesting things in this. Uh, Ephesians is very good information for churches to grow. It says, and He gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. Okay, so what's their job? My job is to issue, along with my other elders and leaders of this church, teachers, pastors, elders, evangelists, apostles, we're here to give you equipment. Isn't that something? I'm here to give you equipment. 
Now, if I brought you in here and issued your your uh, weapon, your combat helmet, your gear, showed you how to use it all, what is your expectation? That I better be ready because I probably have to use it. And so this is the church weaponry to make sure the enemy doesn't steal what God has for this church and the unity that we're trying to maintain. Don't believe me, listen to the rest of it. It says, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I'm not your minister, I'm your trainer to be minister. How many know that? I am not your minister, I am here to train you to be ministers. And you say, well man, I know that. We haven't been taught that our whole life. We've been taught, come to the minister, right? And I can't wait for you to meet my minister. And I can't wait for my minister to lay hands on you. And I can't wait you to come and, and let him minister to you. I'm here to make you ministers. For the building up of the body of Christ. Until what? Until we attain the unity. There's that word. Until we attain, what are we working toward? Unity in the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be... That hurts. Hmm. I've never been a child. I'm not childish. I mean, no, we all are immature sometimes. And we're growing to be more mature to the fullness so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about round by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Now, how many are glad this is in a message Paul just spoke to, spoke to the youth group? The youth group in Ephesus. This wasn't a youth group message from Paul at Ephesus. This is a message to adults who are in the church, who want to have unity, who want to be together and want to grow together. Um, And it says, Grow unto the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is... What's it say? Doing its work. Mine actually says, mine says each part is working properly. Makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. Now, let me give you a few things from this scripture that I like. Number one, unity is from God. How many know that God sent leaders to help us grow into more and more and more and more unity? So who gave it? God, where does it come from? It comes from that mountain where that dew is flowing, where the Spirit of God is flowing down the beard. God made the fivefold ministry so we could grow in unity. We are to equip each other to grow in unity. It's getting more and more and more unified because of what the Spirit is doing in this church. And God is giving us more and more of His Spirit, more and more of His presence because we're growing in unity. That means if I got mad at somebody and we come to that place again, I should be more mature and that doesn't happen the next time. How many know that? We're growing together in maturity and we all need to grow. Some of you say, well, I'm kind of an adult when it comes to spiritual things. Church, we've all got to grow. I don't care if you're 90 years old. We're growing in the maturity of Christ and the unity of His love. Number two, unity is maintained, not created. Wow. So we go around, we say, we need to find unity. We need to create unity. We need to produce unity. I mean, no, you can't do that. You maintain unity. Because it's given by God. You don't produce it. You don't create it. It's not yours to give. You maintain it. Well, how do you maintain it? I've got to find out what the giver says maintains unity. That's why the fivefold ministry is there. Hallelujah. Hopefully... The names of the elders that are coming on next week, they all come on. That's going to be their job.
to help maintain the unity, to help equip the saints for ministry. How many think that's awesome? How many think I could do that alone? The Bible never intended for me to do that alone. You say, well, you're our minister. Man, you just missed the last 10 minutes. We got to quit thinking like that, church. I need seven guys with me. Okay, I'm going to raise up more. Why? Because we have a lot of work to do, church. We got a lot of growing up to do. We got a lot of maturing to do. We got a lot more unity God wants us to have. God wants the Spirit to flow in an abundance like we've never seen, and we've got to be one to do it. Three, unity grows over time. See, we think we got unity now, let's not lose it. And if that's what you think, you got as much as you're going to ever have. Let's not lose it. We're in good shape right now. We're all getting along. Maybe we shouldn't see each other too much because we'll lose that unity. You know, maybe we shouldn't go on that road trip. Maybe we shouldn't do this or that. Let's be careful. Let's maintain what we got. And that's what churches do. But that scripture says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That means we're growing in unity, growing in closeness, growing as a family, growing in everything. And you say, well, man, I don't know, man. We had such a struggle to get along. I'm just going to stay away from him as we maintain unity. No, let's mature. Let's quit being hurt. Let's quit being offended. Let's quit being divisive. Let's quit being all these things. And let's say, hey, let's, let, let's see how pleasant and good it is when we dwell together in that unity of one under God, under that mountain. Hallelujah. Three, four. I don't remember which number I'm on. Unity is opposed by pride and self-interest. I already went over that. And here's the last one. Somebody say amen. Okay, I'm going to have a few more then if you're not any more excited than that. (laughs) Unity is expected by God. It's not an optional choice. It's expected by God. Woe to the person who breaks the unity of the church. Amen? It says in Ephesians 4, 4 4-6, it says, there's seven ones here. Then I'm going to close this. Seven times he says one. Okay? There's one body, one spirit. You were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all things, through all in all. Seven times he mentions one. And Jesus said that in his, in his prayer before his death, he said that they would be one like you and I are one. And you know what? I Actually, I do have one more. Unity does not mean uniformity. How many know that? A lot of churches, it's cookie cutter. You are exactly like me. I'm exactly like you. There's nothing different. But the body of Christ is made with stones, not bricks. Let me know that. There's a difference between a stone and a brick. If you're a bricklayer, every brick looks the same. Yep, same. Yep, same. All day long, same brick, same brick, same brick. Same brick, right? We're not bricks. We're stones. Am I telling the truth, Chaz? This is your area of expertise, right? You put a stone stone in, it's different, isn't it? You gotta find what? Is that the gospel? You gotta look at your pile of stones and say which one's gonna fit there. And if you don't have a variety of stones, you can't get the job done. Sometimes you have to take one and kind of break it up a little bit, don't you? <laughs> That's a different sermon. <laughs> but how many know we're stones in this thing? And God is building a church out of stones, and you are the only one that's going to fit in a certain place. And if we don't have everybody on board, and that leads me to the last mystery. What does the oil have to do with anything? And the truth is, the oil, Aaron is representative of Jesus Christ, the high priest. How many know that? 
And as that oil begins to gravitationally flow on the church, it's meant to gravitationally go all the way to the robe and drip. It's it's meant to go from the least to the lowest, to the first. If you're a believer and it's your first day at this church, God has an anointing for you. And guess what? The leadership is not supposed to stop the flow of that anointing to the very lowest of that garment. How many know some of the greatest ministers in the Bible were new believers? Now, How many know that God's called the church to have ministers that are raising people up to do the work of the ministry? And God's calling this church to not stop the flow of that anointing that goes down Christ's head, covers His head, covers His robes, covers everybody that's in this church. God has an anointing. Let me know that. And if we don't allow that pleasant and good thing to happen to this body where everybody operates in that anointing, can I tell you something? We'll never do what God's called us to do. We'll never do it. We have to have everybody on board with that anointing. You say, but you know what? I could do it better than the pastor. There's an anointing that God's called you in. And if we don't have that, if you're too busy with me doing my job right, you're going to find a lot of things with me, trust me. If you don't know lots of things, I can sit down for about half an hour and tell you some things I'm not doing well. But can I tell you something? We don't need that. We need you to do what God's called you to do. We need you to be faithful to the work of God. We need you to be in the, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to flow on you. How many of you know if you're full of the Holy Spirit, one thing the Bible tells me, it doesn't, and we were studying Judges a few weeks ago. God can use anybody. God can use anybody to reach this world. All we need is a body of people that are willing to get full of the Holy Spirit. And you know what, church? It's gravitational. It's going to happen. We just need to get out of the way. We need to quit trying to be Pastor Chad. Tell him how to pastor the church and let's get under our anointing. Let's be that stone that fits perfect in the building. And let's begin to move with God. Let's be one. One. We can't be one. We're going other directions. And I'll close with this illustration. Worship team, you come up. I had a uh, I had a group of boys that I was coaching, and uh, there were three boys that were younger, but they were the best athletes in their class, and there were three boys that were older that were very average athletes, and it was football team I was coaching. And those three boys, you could see when they walked in that one was going to be the starting quarterback, the starting running back, and the starting wide receiver, no matter what I said. And so I seen the problem on day one, and I seen it with the parents more than the kids. Kids were pretty good kids, but the parents, you could see, were already telling me where their kids were going to play, you know. And um, I always believe when I'm coaching a team that there's only one thing that galvanizes people together, and that is winning. When you win, everybody will do what they need to do to be a part of the team. If it's something other than that, then <laughs> then you don't have a team. But if everybody's willing to do whatever I have to do to win this game, that is the thing that galvanizes a group together. They will do whatever it takes. You know, one guy will block, one guy will uh, uh, just he'll run his routes right, another guy will... I mean, just getting everybody together as one, the only thing that galvanizes is that. And so I put those three kids head to head with each other in every drill. In every drill, the younger three always won the drill every time. And I did that on purpose because they needed to see that it's open. You know, these are open uh, battles. You, you were coaching with me. You probably remember the group. And so you had to make sure they fought and knew they all had a chance for those positions but then once the battle was over, we need to all resolve that we're here to win, put everybody in the best positions, and everybody do what they need to do to win the game. And so I started to notice, in fact, this is how I currently notice when there's division. 
Just so you know, you might be able to play it off. But um, when we played the game, we actually ended up being undefeated. I think undefeated. I might have lost one that year. I can't remember. But they, uh, that team, every time that we did well, like succeeded. In fact, those three kids caught a lot of touchdown passes, ran a lot of touchdowns, did really well, had a great year. In fact, the kids didn't have parents. They would have been very happy kids. Because the kids were very happy. But every time we were doing well and winning and doing great, everybody in the crowd was cheering. Everybody around was cheering. Then I would look over and those three parents never would cheer. So I thought to myself, you know, their kid gets a touchdown, they still don't cheer. We're winning, they don't cheer. And so I've noticed this in organizations... When we're doing well, I look at the sidelines and I see who's cheering. I know that's scary, isn't it? Because I would. I'd be in the middle of everybody's cheering. I'm not an emotional coach. I, I just always kept to myself. Didn't get real loud. Didn't get real emotional. But while they're running down the sidelines on a touchdown, I'm looking over at the sidelines seeing who's cheering. And I knew for a fact that I had a division on that team. And that was the hardest team I've I had to coach in football because of the division of those three parents. But they were not excited when God was doing something great. In church, we need to think about that. We need to think about it. If we're not in it for God to win, to see God's plan fulfilled in our lifetime, if we're not in it, if we're not in it for this opportunity like Kevin talked last week, if we're not getting excited every time we have a victory, may not be one that hurts me that hurts me because we've got to be one and I don't want to stop winning when I see David at 49 and he stopped fighting and he stopped winning it breaks my heart because I want to know what David would have done between 49 and 70 years old I really wish I could see what that kingdom looked like if David had not stopped church there are people in the bible that never stop they won to the end of their life caleb is one of them i love caleb old man and he's still fighting till the very last day that's what we need to be when you say you know what i want to find my place i want to give everything i have and that's really all i'm asking just give everything you have to the last day you live on this earth that's all i'm asking that's a joke okay but it's true Everything you have in the fertile soil that God has given us here until the day we all die. There's no phony Christianity here. Everything I've got into this soil to the day I die. And some of you are holding back on that. You're saying, every time I walk out of here, I'm offended. Every time I come in there, I'm mad. A lot of people I don't like there. I don't like the way they do things. And I'm telling you something. We're not one when you're doing that. You got to come in here and say, everything God has given me to the day I die, I'm putting in His fertile soil. We're, we're fertilizer. We're like manure, right? Put that in the ground and that plant will grow and then God will water it. And man, we'll see fruit all over this place. Hallelujah. God, I just want you to bring it to the Lord. We're going to worship, and I want you to find a place at the altar. If you need prayer or something you're struggling with, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord, I'm here to pray with you. We're here to pray with you. Just give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready. We've got a prime opportunity, church, to bury ourselves in this fertile soil. For the day we die, isn't that awesome? We're going to grow, mature, unify together. We're going to get stronger and stronger in that unity. The Spirit of God is going to flow. We're going to see lives change. We're going to see fruit begin to blossom. Hallelujah. How many want to see that? It's gravitational. It's going to come. It's got to get out of the way. Hallelujah. So I invite you to get out of the way. Hallelujah. Lord, uh, I was thinking about that uh, 
anointing. You know, that just comes down that beard. And church, can I tell you something that I see with this church? I've seen that anointing come from God upon this church. And I see God raising up an anointing over many leaders already. That means that the oil is beginning to flow down the head of Christ, the high priest. Many leaders, many more leaders. And church, when that flow continues gets down to that robe and just begins to overflow over this community. You're going to be shocked at what you see. God is flowing upon this church. We have more leaders at this church right now than almost any church I know. You say, well, how is that possible? Because nearly our whole church is leaders. And God's raising them up and I'm seeing that anointing all over the place. And God's going to do a greater anointing if we just don't get in the way. Hallelujah. Praise God. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, bless your people. Put your anointing upon them, Lord God. Continue to flow in this church. Lord, keep us together and in unity, Lord. 